Our scripture reading for today is from 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth that you now have. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me, and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came from by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Merry Advent to all of you. This year, during the season of Advent, our teaching series will be on this little letter called Second Peter. To begin, I'd like to share what I've learned the past few weeks about this letter that I never really knew before. Second Peter is the Apostle Peter's farewell statement to the church like his last word, his final message. If you look at the passage we just read at verses 14 and 15, we have here the purpose statement of the letter. It says, again, I know that I will soon lay aside my tent as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Peter knows he's going to die. Somehow Jesus himself had made this very clear to Peter. Maybe Peter's referring to one of his last conversations with Jesus before he was ascended, recorded in the Gospel of John. At any rate, we know Peter knows his time is short, and this letter is what he left behind. He says, I'm about to die. I won't be around much longer. And so I'm giving you this message to stir you up, to remind you of the important things, and to keep you going. Surprisingly, maybe you know a little bit about this letter. Sometimes it's kind of ignored. Not, I don't know anybody who says, my favorite book of the Bible is Second Peter. Maybe one person. Um, maybe we'll, we'll learn who that is later, maybe. 
Surprisingly, this letter is a letter all about the second coming of Jesus Christ. From 1 verse 16, really all to the end, if you look at that, you'll see that's what Peter's talking about again and again and again. And he's saying, remember it, recall it, you need to know about this. Now, you probably won't see any verses from 2 Peter quoted on anyone's Christmas card. Have you ever seen that? There is nothing in 2 Peter about the birth of Jesus Christ or Mary or shepherds or wise men or even directly about the incarnation. So why, Pastor Eric, are we looking at this letter during Advent? Thank you for asking. The reason is because Advent, as Daring has already reminded us, is a season to remember that the Bible teaches us two Advents of Jesus Christ. His first advent, coming to us as a man, and his second advent, where he will come again to the world, not as a baby born helplessly lying in a manger in his incarnation, but instead as judge and king to his coronation, his rule over all things, to set all things right. The, the first coming of Jesus as a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, we like remembering that, and we should. We like the shepherds. We like the coziness of it all, the starlight, all that stuff. And we get a yearly reminder of that with the Christmas season. The baby, the swaddling clothes. We see all these things around. They're on our Christmas trees and those kinds of things. But the second coming of Jesus Christ... Most of us don't spend a lot of time remembering it, thinking about it, recalling it, do we? Does anybody have a second coming tree? Nobody has one. There are no movies on the Hallmark Channel about the second coming, and we thank God for that. <laughs> there are reasons why. It might be hard for us. We, we kind of avoid thinking about it, recalling and remembering the second advent. Here are some reasons maybe. Maybe you're embarrassed by the idea. Do we really believe that Jesus Christ will come into this reality? Once again, all people will see it and all people will bow their knee to him. Is that really what we believe? It's hard to grasp it. Or maybe we're just embarrassed because some Christians get so caught up in what we might call end time speculation, doing what Jesus said cannot be done, trying to predict the day and the hour of his return and getting all caught up in that. And we don't want to be a part of it. Or maybe we just wonder, okay, it's there in the Bible. What, what difference does it make, though, to my life today? Does the second advent really matter to life now? Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, one of his three closest disciples, the leader of the early church, devotes his final message to the church, to us, almost entirely to the second coming of Jesus Christ, saying, remember it, recall it, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you don't forget it. So this season during Advent, I'd like to explore why he thought this was so important for us. I'd like to share the premise of this series. Forgive me for being so kind of, I don't know, just so precise here, but I want to lay this out for everybody so we know what we're going to be talking about this season. 
Here's the premise. Without the doctrine of the second advent of Jesus Christ, Christianity is incomplete and insufficient. One, for facing and fighting the darkness in our own lives. And two, in speaking to and addressing the darkness of the world around us. This series, as you see from the front of the bulletin, is called A Lamp Shining in a Dark Place. The phrase is taken from verse 15 in our passage. This image, a lamp shining in a dark place, is a picture of what Peter wanted his final letter, his final message to be for us. To begin this series, I'd like to focus on 16 through 21, which provides the basis, it provides the grounding and the foundation for the whole letter. But I have a new title. I didn't know what the title was until later on this week. So it's not a lamp shining in a dark place. That is the title of the whole series. The title of this message is What to Do in a Dark Place. Verses 16 through 21 tell us. They tell us first to admit it's dark. Secondly, they tell us don't accept myths. And thirdly there, Peter tells us, pay attention to the light. We'll look at each one of those as we go through this. First, Peter says, admit it's dark. If you were to rank, we have some camping experts here, some backpacking aficionados here. And they could maybe answer this question. If you were to rank in order, if you're going to a remote place to camp and backpack, and there's nothing there, there's no facilities whatsoever, what would you rank as most essential for that trip? You have to pack or you will be in danger or you will be in trouble or maybe your life will be in danger. Water, right? food. I can live without food for some time, but food is good. You don't have to put clothing. I'll assume you're wearing clothing out there so you don't have to pack it. You have it on. Would not one of those things be light? I'm going to look at some folks. Yeah, okay, some nods, yes, from some of these experts. Because darkness is one of those things you can't ignore. If you're in the dark and it's pitch black out in the middle of nowhere, it affects everything, everything you do. You can't do anything. You can't find anything. You can't go anywhere in the dark safely without light. And this is a picture Peter is giving us in verse 19 to describe life between the first coming, the first advent of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus. Look at the images there with me in verse 19. He says, it's like living in a dark place. It's like living at night, right? Because it's before the day has dawned. It's living before this time that the morning star rises in our hearts. Peter here is not being gloomy or pessimistic. He's being very realistic, as in facing reality as it is. Christianity enables us to do this, to be realistic, not to pretend, not to act like everything is okay or put on rosy glasses. That is not Christianity. He's saying when you're in in a dark place, it's important to admit, to recognize it's dark. And and this point is one of the reasons why I chose 2 Peter for Advent for our church this year. This year, as many years, but maybe this year in particular, has seen some really dark things, hard things for us in our world. There's war. There's wars upon wars. 
We have friends here affected by the war that continues to rage in Ukraine. We have a friend here who had to come home early because of the war in Israel and Palestine. And we see news that continues to come out from both of these conflicts of lives lost forever. These, these are dark things. There's a, a tragic report that came out this week, excuse me, saying this past year saw the most suicides on record in the United States. There is darkness around us. There is darkness that can be so dark inside of us. And many of us in our church family have faced the darkness of disappointment, really hard disappointments, the darkness of loss, of people we love, of our own mortality, of discouragement, of sin that we just can't shake, that wreaks havoc in our lives and more. And none of this just magically goes away during the Christmas season. In fact, it can often feel worse during seasons like this, since everything is supposed to be so merry and bright, and it's the most wonderful time of the year, and all that, the loneliness, the loss, sometimes the addiction and the relational strain and conflict, it can all be much worse and feel so much more dark. When What Peter says here makes it clear. Christianity does not teach that if we believe enough, if we are good enough, if we figure out some kind of Christian life hack, then we can avoid the darkness in this world, we can avoid the, that kind of darkness inside of our own hearts and lives, and we can find our way to a little enclave of light tucked away from a world of darkness. Many, many times I wish this was true that I could right now find a way out of all the disappointments and pains and difficulties of life. Maybe you feel like that. I've tried through having the perfect theology, observing the spiritual disciplines, and all that sort of thing. And I wish I could tell you as your pastor, when you're in a dark place, when you're struggling with the darkness of injustice and evil in the world, I wish I could say there's a way to escape it all now. Just do this. Just try that. Do more of these things. But Peter is telling us right here, that is not the teaching of Christianity. This image of darkness covers a number of things about the hard realities of life. Darkness, in one sense, means the things we cannot know because light is an image of truth. Light reveals, light exposes that which is and is true. And we live much of our lives not knowing, with questions that are deep in our souls where we say, why, God? Why is it this way? And darkness also is an image of the continued presence of evil and sin in our lives and in the world and all their effects. So here at the beginning of this series, Peter is saying at the beginning of his letter, not accept it as that's the way it is, but he's also saying don't deny it, admit it, and name it. It's right as a Christian to say, this is not the way it's supposed to be. These things are dark. To name it, it's a part of our jobs as Christians to name things as they are when things are not the way they're supposed to be, not the way God intends them to be. And we can do this because we know this is not the way it will always be. 
Verse 19 says, the dark place, it won't be dark forever. That's the full message of this verse. The night will not last forever. The thing you feel God is keeping you in the dark on. Why, God? The darkness inside, the darkness that plagues a loved one. The darkness of your sin, the darkness in our world that burdens you, that you can't understand. Verse 19 says it won't be dark forever. There is a day. The morning star will rise. So this is Peter being very realistic, being realistic and not being afraid to be because he knows this is not the way it will always be. But you might say, this sounds good. This is the world we live in. To know that it's not going to be this way forever, I want to believe it. I wish it were true. Sometimes in a dark place, I have a hard time believing that when I see the world, when I see my own life and heart. Is this just a wishful thinking? This is exactly what the people who received 2 Peter were thinking. Maybe it's all just wishful thinking that the darkness will one day go away. And what does Peter say to them? Second point here. He says, I'm not telling you to accept myths. Don't accept myths when you are in a dark place. In a world where darkness remains in us and all around us, he says, Peter said, made up stories of hope. General spiritual ideals They're not enough. That is what he's saying in verse 16. He says, I'm not talking here about cleverly contrived myths. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a fairy tale. This is not some religious story that resulted from humanity's search for meaning or for God. This is truth. This is real. This is substantial, observable. Historical truth. At Christmas, there is a lot of sappy and over-sentimental songs and messages, right? We hear about the spirit of Christmas. And, you know, movies that are, they boil down to just saying, just believe. And some kind of vague idea of happiness and warmth and chestnuts and things like that. I love all that. I love the Christmas season. But the truth is, none of it has any value when we are in a dark place. If I come to you, and, or if you maybe we have a conversation, you come to me, and you're in a dark place, personally, you're struggling, and you ask me a question about the darkness in the world, or if you are struggling with darkness inside of your own life and heart, and I said to you, well, have you ever seen the movie Frosty the Snowman? Where are you going with this? And I say, uh, he came to life every winter. So you can have hope too. (laughs) I know we're laughing, right? Now that would be terrible pastoral counseling. You you would be insulted by that. I'm kind of tongue-in-cheek here. Extremely disappointed about that. You'd say, I'm talking about real darkness and pain. I need something solid and real and true. And Peter says here, as I, as I get ready, Peter is saying, as I get ready to pass from this earth, I'm going to die. This is going to be over for me. I have one thing here I want you to know about the message of Jesus Christ. It is not a cleverly contrived myth. The gospel is about eyewitness testimony to true and solid fact. And I'd like you to uh, 
hear this challenge this morning. Would you please hear this? No matter what you believe. Do you know why, my Christian friends, why the message of Jesus and his coming is not a myth? And maybe if you wonder whether it is, you're not sure if you're a Christian, you say maybe it's true. I want to challenge you with this. Have you examined your own beliefs and asked, are they myths? Let me give you some examples. If you believe in the importance of justice, the need to acknowledge the oppressed, to fight for the oppressed, to hold the oppressors accountable. And you encounter the darkness of oppression in the world, evil in this world, war, and you want to fight back. You want to say something. You want to help end it. What I challenge you with is you need a reason why. Why? Why fight the justice? Why fight for justice? If you're going to push it back, if you're going to convince others, if you don't have a reason, a solid, true reason, then all you have is the myth of justice. Just an idea you hope is true. Or another example, if you believe, okay, things can be hard in life, it can be really dark, but in the end, good will prevail. Things will work out. There is a reason. There is a purpose. Things are headed toward a hopeful end. If you believe that, but you don't have a solid reason why, is it true? Do you know it's true? Then you just believe in the myth of hope. It's just the idea of hope. There's a lot of talk about justice and hope. But if you don't have a solid why, you need one. We can only distract ourselves and escape from the darkness for so long. When we're in a dark place, this reality hits. We need something real and true. And Peter says here, I am an eyewitness. Look at verse 17. To the majesty of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, he received, Peter's saying, he received honor and glory from God, the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. This is fascinating. This is so unpredictable what Peter does here. He says, I want to talk to you about the transfiguration. This is a time recorded in the Gospels. Peter was there when Jesus took his three closest disciples and followers. He took them, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain. After this, the great turning point in his ministry where he told his disciples, he asked them, who do you say that I am? He said, they said, you're the Christ. He said, I'm going to tell you now that I'm headed to crucifixion and death and then resurrection. And there, from there, he said, I'm taking you up. I want to show you something. And there on the mountain before Peter, James, and John, it says, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes were dazzling white. I think it's Luke who says, no, there's no way you could make those clothes that white, like through laundry. <laughs> it's like, this was white, as bright as you could imagine. The source of whiteness and light. And then the voice of God spoke these words audibly so everyone could hear. Peter says, I heard it. Why did Peter point to this moment? 
Well, in, in this moment, and what he saw with his eyes and heard with his ears, along with James and John, Peter had a glimpse of the full power and final coming of Jesus Christ. That's how he puts it in verse 16. At the transfiguration, Peter says, because of what I saw and heard, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jesus will come again. He will drive away all the darkness and he will bring the dawn. Why? Can he be so certain? He saw it and he says, and God interpreted it for me, himself, the God who made all things. And what God the Father said at the transfiguration, I have a slide so we can kind of track this, is a rich, beautiful mashup of at least three Old Testament passages that are key. The first is Psalm 2. In Psalm 2, it's about the Lord and his anointed one, his Messiah. In verse 6, it says, I have installed my king on my holy mountain. The transfiguration, as Peter remembers, was on a mountain. And in Psalm 2, it says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. And Psalm 2 is all about this. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. It's God saying to this anointed figure, you are the king of the world. I'm installing you as king. Also here we see Genesis 22, too, woven in. We looked at this a few weeks ago in our series on Abraham. When Abraham was told to take his son, his only son, the son whom he loves, and offer him up. And we learn there that God, in fact, was telling Abraham, no, Abraham, it's not your son whom you love who will bring the covenant promise to fulfillment. It's, the, it's my son, my beloved son whom I love in whom the covenant promises will be fulfilled. And then we see this is not only his son, his beloved son, but the son in whom he delights. This is from Isaiah chapter 42. I have to read this to you. Please listen to this one who is described in Isaiah 42. This is my servant. I uphold him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him, or I am well pleased in him. I put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed. He will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coasts and the islands, all the earth will wait for his instruction. This is what God, the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I've called you for a righteous purpose. I will hold you by your right hand. I will watch over you. I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. These past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Let's bring it all together. Peter is saying, not only these three, but the entire prophetic word, he says, which is best understood as the entire Bible, the entire Old Testament, 
the prophetic word that foretells, not just foretells the future, foretells the word of God. The transfiguration confirms all of this, all that God has told us in his word. It's not a myth. It's true. It's solid. It's reliable. At the transfiguration, we have God, the creator of all things, his interpretation of the person of Jesus. He says, this is who he is. It's not up for us to decide or make up our minds about, to figure out who is Jesus? What is he all about? It's not up to us to make up the meaning or our own interpretation. God the Father, as we read in Isaiah, who says, I am the Lord. I'm going to declare something to you. He says, this is what I'm declaring. My son, this is who he is. The one I love, the one in whom I delight. If Jesus is who God says he is, then we have solid, true, real reason to know that light, justice, and love will prevail. If Jesus is the one who shone like the sun, whose being was dazzling white, if he is the son, the father decreed as king over all the earth, who is God's beloved son, the servant in whom he delights to make a light to the nations. If this is who Jesus is, then beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can know. We have solid truth to bank on, to live for, and as Peter said, to die for. I will die for this truth, not just for myself, but so that all people would know this truth. He is coming again. And the dark will be driven away forever. The day will dawn. There will be no more darkness in the world around us. The morning star will rise in our hearts. And no more darkness will be inside of us. When I was in college, I was so blessed. It was a great gift. I was able to take a class in a secular university on C.S. Lewis in J.R. Tolkien. And it was so important for my faith. And I learned about this concept that they shared called a true myth. Maybe you've heard of that. A true myth. They said the story of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, he is the true myth. Meaning, Jesus takes all the threads and all the themes of all the stories that we wish were true. That light will prevail. That injustice will be eradicated the stories of all the myths. He takes all of those and he elevates them to a higher degree than we ever dared hope. And he says, because of me, it's true. They're all true. It all hinges on Jesus, friends. The person of Jesus Christ if he shines brighter than the sun and dazzling white as a king, son of God, light, then darkness cannot win. Christianity does not offer us an explanation for the darkness that remains. Why is it still here? An answer to all the whys that we might have. Why do we have to walk through our dark valleys? Christianity does not give us the argument, a timetable, Steps to take to enlightenment so we can escape the darkness. We are given a person. We are given the person of Jesus Christ. You know, light and darkness, 
It's not an equal fight between the two. Every morning, do we wonder if the sun is going to win over the darkness of the night? If I'm on my house, we live uh, near Peter's Canyon. If I'm on one side of the canyon over here, and you're on the other side, like three miles away, and it's pitch black night, and I say, just get your flashlight out and flash it. I'll see it. No matter how dark it is all around, all this darkness cannot prevent me from seeing that little light. Jesus is the one whose face shines like the sun, who radiates dazzling white, who is the morning star. The darkness stands no chance against him. To quote from J.R. Tolkien, I think I have this quote here. It's from Samwise Gamgee in The Lord of the Rings and what he says to Frodo. But in the end, he says, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it'll shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you. Peter's saying, this is the story that must stay with you because it is a true story based in the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And so I have one final application point. In verse 19, Peter says, We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you do well to pay attention to it. What to do in a dark place? Maybe you were there. What do I do? I can admit it's dark. I can name it. I don't have to settle for a myth and just hopeful thoughts. I have something solid and real. And Peter says, pay attention. Pay attention to the lamp. Don't focus your attention on the darkness. Don't make it your center of attention. That here is what's wrong with the world kind of messaging that's always out there. The world is so bad. Things are going down into hell in a handbasket type of messaging. Don't look at the evil. Don't look at all the darkness in yourself as your focus of attention. Don't get caught up in how persistent and discouraging it can be to be obsessed with thoughts about how you wish it had been, it's passed by now or over by now. We don't deny it, Peter says, but we don't give our attention to it. He says, pay attention to the light. We are not responsible for defeating the darkness. The gospel says, Jesus, that's his responsibility and he will do it. We are not responsible to have all the answers to the darkness around us and inside of us. Some of it we don't know. But we are responsible for what we pay attention to. And that's what Peter is saying. In our day and age, it may just be, this is my final application point, that our attention is our most valuable commodity. The most important thing about us is our attention. Everything on TV, everything on the little black boxes that we hold in our hands, our little smartphones, all the apps, all the video games, what do they want most from you? Your attention. More of it. As much of it as they can get. 
And so much of it, not all of it, but so much of it, what is the best way to keep your attention? To tell you about the darkness. To tell you what you should be angry about. To tell you how bad this is. To give you bad news. Or simply to distract you. This Advent, here is my ask and request of us. Be responsible for what you pay attention to. Place your attention on Jesus Christ and the lamp of the scriptures. If you look at verse 20, the same word here, scripture, is used uh, later in this letter of the New Testament writings as well. Scripture is not man's interpretation of God. It's God's interpretation of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What do you do in a dark place? Pay attention to something solid and true and real. Pay attention to someone solid and true and real. You will meet Jesus Christ in the scriptures. There are many ways to do that through Advent devotionals, through listening to scripture. You come up with how you want to do it. But can I encourage you, even during this busy season, pay attention to the light. I've never seen someone on a dark night where there's a warm fire. I've never seen anybody in that situation turn around and walk out of the circle of the fire and just kind of kneel down in the, in the dark and just look at nothing in the darkness. <laughs> but I've seen many, many times people around a fire where everything is dark all around them, mesmerized and gazing at the fire and the light saying, I can't look away. My attention is fixed. The night around just fades into the background as the eyes are focused on the light. May we do that this Advent season and until Jesus returns again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And I pray this Advent season as there are things to be celebrating and lighthearted about, also knowing there are things that are dark and difficult. And I pray for us as a church family, I pray for each person here, especially those who are feeling like there's darkness in their minds and hearts around them that the light just does not seem to penetrate into, and I pray, Lord Jesus, our King, the one who is coming again, that you would break through those clouds of of sin and sadness as the hymn says and bring light. That you would help us all to turn our attention, even when it's so difficult, onto what is true and solid and reliable that you, our Lord God, has, has told us, has announced to us, has shown us that we learn to fix our attention on Jesus even when we don't know all the answers, even when we're walking in what feels like the dark. May your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.